0: Good afternoon and good morning, and welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. We're here and we're ready to uh, talk about the news here on Friday, right before April Fool's, where we will totally be fooling ourselves. (laughs) Let's get it. All right. Let's get it then. It damages our free spirit. War on British tourists won't work, says Amsterdamers.
1: Donald Trump indicted. Expected to surrender next week.
0: Friday briefing. What to know about a vast new leak exposing Russia's cyberware network. In today's newsletter, a six-month investigation from The Guardian, others give unprecedented access into Putin's intelligence agencies.
1: Uh, the latest on nine soldiers killed after Army helicopters collide over Kentucky.
0: King Charles need to sell off the crown jewels in atonement for slavery. But Britain must waive Jamaica's debt. Barbara Blake Hanna.
1: Evacuation order lifted after freight train derails, catches fire in Minnesota. That story and more. Today's edition of March 31st. 2023 edition of Before Coffee.
0: All right, let's go into my first story here about our previous article yesterday where Amsterdam is going to try to pass or not, pa- well, pass a ad an ad, what is it called, an ad system in which they're, if you search up, hey, can I have a fun time in Amsterdam, they're going to bombard you with ads saying, hey, don't do that here, go somewhere else. So, now the Amsterdammers are also going, that's not going to do anything, and I kind of agree. It's 9.30 p.m., and groups of British lads are gearing up for a big night out in Amsterdam's red light district. Although the narrow streets echo with French, German, Spanish, Dutch, and Irish banter, this week Amsterdam City Council launched a campaign to tell Britons from 18 to 35 in a search of a messy night to stay away. Louis Flanagan, 24, from Middlesbrough, is taking the chance to party while he still can. My plans are for sex and drink, going around the bars until 6 a.m., he said, peering into brothel windows beside the Oudezeiza-Ochterbergwal canal. His two friends, unnamed, as they have serious jobs, have also come before before things change. We have serious jobs, we're not gonna name ourselves. We partake in the uh, red light district. As Amsterdam braces for another rowdy weekend of visitors, things are indeed changing in the medieval district, where sex workers have operated for centuries. This is the first weekend in which 249 window brothels in Diwalla, the red light district, will close at 3 a.m. instead of 6 a.m., and bars will shut down at 2 a.m. From mid-May, cannabis smoking will be banned in public, and people in Britain searching for the net for the terms such as stagnant Amsterdam now see city marketing fittings warning of costly souvenirs such as fines and criminal records and hospitalizations. Don't come here, it's dangerous! A city with a population of 880,000 but the 18 million tourists a year is taking action it's against its image as a hub of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. At a meeting in Amsterdam, Nord, a proposed multi multi-story erotic center to replace the 100 sex worker windows. The mayor of Femke Halsema said on Wednesday, the situation was a health hazard. It is so busy that emergency service cannot get through to canals anymore. We have to find a solution. However, even Dietrich Boomsa, the local councillor coined the term glassy-eyed tourist zombies, to describe the worst partygoers, is wondering why his compatriots are so happy to stigmatize British people. Are the UK's young men really as bad as all that? Unfortunately, the answer is yes, (laughs) says tourism experts and and Dutch comedy sketches, but then so are the Dutch. In 2014, the then-London mayor Boris Johnson and the late Amsterdam mayor Ebhard van der Laan clashed words over whether the problem was sleazy Amsterdam or how thousands of fellow Brits behave. By 2018, research confirmed the majority of those causing nuisances are most often groups of men between 18 and 34 from the Netherlands and the UK who visit Amsterdam with only one purpose in mind, partying and acting crazy. And you know why? Let me put some little insight to this. It's drinking culture, because drinking (laughs) makes you not think properly, and since you have a culture based on drinking as much as possible, which both the Dutch and the British have, you end up creating an environment where people are just being a nuisance, because they're too Mm. drunk to even control themselves. Um, Let's skip ahead on this really long, Uh, very long dark article. Others believe British visitors contribute in a positive way, while the stag does get headlines from 16,000 residents. Resident Brits and their families quietly go on their lives in Amsterdam," said Tricia Turand of the British and the Netherlands group. If this campaign helps to reduce the number of drunken tourists, so much the better. Although reservations have been expressed in our group whether it'll work or might put off more people from visiting, some are afraid that advertising these problems might actually glamorize them. Tim Verlan, assistant professor in the Urban History of Amsterdam University Center of Urban History, said the campaign could give Amsterdam's allure a vice city. Okay. So, either way, we've got people either going, yeah, rock and roll, or, ugh, I don't want to go there. That's bad, yeah. so.
1: Amsterdam going to drop its reputation overnight. I don't know what they're worried about. I, I, uh, all summer long, I'm in a place called Ocean City, Maryland, which is full of European teenagers, 20-year-olds, and they're all drunk all the time. So... That's a fact. I live there, so I know what goes on. <laughs> it's full of Europeans that are always partying. All right. Uh, next story. <laughs> well, wait. Wait, are we still on that story? No, you're good. Okay. The sex. Um, story. Donald Trump indicted. Expected this. <laughs> what's that?
0: No, it was just funny because you said the sex story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, more sex. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, Stormygate, I guess we can call it. I don't know, has anybody called it Stormygate yet? Yeah. We had that thing where we got to put gate after everything, ever since Nixon. Donald Trump has been indicted by a Manhattan. This is from uh, the AP, Colleen Long. Donald Trump has been indicted by a Manhattan grand jury, one of three grand juries looking at him. A historic reckoning after years of investigating. It might be four. Investigate into his personal political and business dealings and an abrupt jolt to his bid to retake the White House. The exact nature of the charges was unclear Friday because the indictment remained under seal, but it appears to be 34 charges. But they stem from payments made during the 2016 presidential campaign to silence claims of an extramarital sexual encounter. Prosecutors said they were working to coordinate Trump's surrender, which could happen early next week. They did not say whether they intended to seek prison time in the event of a conviction. A development that wouldn't prevent Trump from seeking or assuming presidency. The indictment, the first against a former U.S. president, injects a social, uh, injects a local district attorney's office into the heat part of national presidential race. Not really. That's editorial. Arriving arriving at the time of deep political division, blah, 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 more Trump, who has denied any wrongdoing and has been repeatedly assailed the investigation, called the indictment political persecution and predicted with damage to Democrats in 2020. I don't know what's in there. In a statement confirming the charges, defense lawyers, Susan Natchelis and Joseph Tacopina said Trump did not commit any crime and will vigorously fight this political prosecution court this is where i stop and ask a question if you and me committed a crime and only you went to jail for the crime why did i not go to jail yeah in other words trump's lawyer was prosecuted by trump's justice department donald trump was president is the uh his Justice Department, his Attorney General, prosecuted Michael Cohen, put him in prison, put him in solitary confinement for the same crime. Same crime, one person's already going to prison, the other person, named in the indictment, named in the conviction, has not gone to prison. It's an open and shut case. It's nothing to politics. Trump, again, Trump's the one who put somebody in jail for this. Trump is the one with somebody in jail for the same crime. His Justice Department. How could it be politics? Okay. A spokesman for the Manhattan District Attorney's office confirmed the indictment. Said prosecutors reached Trump's defense team, coordinated a surrender. Jacopina said Trump is likely to turn himself in Tuesday. So get ready for the circus on Tuesday. The case, uh, District Attorney Alvin Bragg left his office Thursday evening without commenting. The case centers on a well-chronicled allegations from a period of 2016 when Trump's celebrity past collided with his political ambitions. Prosecutors for months scrutinized money paid to porn actor Stormy Daniels and former Playboy model, model Karen McDougal, whom he feared would go public with claims that extramarital affairs with, with him. The timing of the, the indictment appeared to come as a surprise to the Trump campaign, as officials following news reports criminal charge likely weeks away. The former president was at mar Maralardo is as uh, Michael Cohen calls it. The former president was at mar a his farm florida state on thursday and filmed an interview with a conservative commenter earlier in the day so the circus continues you know um, we'll be uh, we'll be following this story as the entire world will your story
0: my story let's see what happens in the further development of um of that i guess oh you will <laughs> we will see in the coming we next week probably see. yeah they will
1: never stop talking about it this is gonna be only news all day every day but
0: uh next in uh, news about old people uh doing bad things and not going to jail for it in countries touched by european colonism The subjects of enslavement and reparations suddenly seem to be on the agenda. This week, The Guardian stepped forward to publish its thorough investigation into the publication's beginnings and and connections with slavery. In February, the former BBC journalist Laura Trevelyan traveled to Granada to apologize to her for her family, having owned 1,000 enslaved Africans there and donate 100k to establish education proxies on the island. The Dutch king recently welcomed his prime minister's apology for the Netherlands' role in the 250 years of slavery, even if that carefully avoided direct apology from his throne and the inevitable repercussions. At last, these conversations are being had. Reactions around the world at these declarations have been varied. Any outrage that there may have been about the Dutch Announcement was smoothed over by the royal family's visit to the Caribbean islands. Queen Maxima dancing with the locals was a celebrity show as effective in demonstrating an enlightened non-racist attitude to their colonial family as Prince Harry's two-step years ago with Rita Marley's dancers in Trenchtown. The Guardian's move is admirable as Trevor Leon's, but but has much greater impact and potential for positive imitation by the large organizations, business, and social institutions that are Britain's foundations. These institutions underpin a country whose role in enslavement of millions of Africans over three centuries and subsequent monopoly of their ruling systems and economies is the basis of its global strength and leadership. As the events in Europe, and especially Britain, began to filter through the Jamaica, the home of the largest and most militant, militant Caribbean reparations movement, there has been... So far, been mostly a wait-and-see attitude. The conversations about reparations in Jamaica is is continuous. The strength of the public opinion rises and falls as day-to-day news events color what is often an angry discussion. Jamaicans remember when British Prime Minister told us to move on from thinking about slavery and reparations, and accept a new British finance prison, prison instead. Jamaicans broadly welcome the new reality of international discussion on the topic of slavery, who who took part, who benefited, and who should pay. Some look positively at moves such as the Trevelyan's apology, the Dutch statements, and the Guardian's plans for restorative justice. Such public shows of contrition don't solve everything. In many cases, the specific identification of individuals and institutions profited from slavery heightens the debate. Instead, the reparations I want would be the total relief of all Jamaica's debt to the UK, plus the lifting of UK's visa restrictions for Jamaican descendants of enslaved people, with unlimited access to the Empire's educational the Empire's quoted educational and economic opportunities, which were built on the labor of my enslaved ancestors. The king that way King Charles won't have to sell off crown jewels, though he may have to convert some of the palace into student dormitories. I, and others like me, hope the British king gives more than a moment's thought to the well-researched actions and examples set by the Guardian in the search for its own links to slavery. All those waiting for reparations hope he will not only search but find and then copy Lauren Tavallion's, Trevillion's, on a much larger scale. Barbara Blake is, ha- is, this was written by Barbara Blake, Hannah, an anti-racism activist and former TV broadcaster in Britain. Oh, so, little editorial there. About mm. slavery in the UK.
1: <laughs> look look at all the all the benefits they've gotten it from reggae alone. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Marley, of course, famously his father was a British soldier who he never given. Yeah. Okay. So I'm um, in some military training news. Uh there's not a whole lot of training deaths every year. I just looked up, there's a twenty-four last year, twenty-six year before. Nine soldiers killed after Army helicopters collide over Kentucky. Two Black Hawk helicopters from the 101st Airborne Division collided on Wednesday night near Fort Campbell. The Army said it did not know yet the cause. This is from New York Times. Nine soldiers were killed after two United States Army helicopters collided during a training mission near Army base along the Kentucky-Tennessee border on Wednesday night, the Army said. The two HH-60 Black Hawk assault helicopters crashed into each other about 8 or about 10 p.m. during a routine training mission in Trigg County, Kentucky. Non-Dis L. Thurman, spokesman for the Army base Fort Campbell, said in a statement. She added that the crash was under investigation. The helicopters were in the 101st Airborne Division, which is based at Fort Campbell, and is the Army's only air assault division. Brigadier General John Lubas said during a news conference at Fort Campbell on Thursday that the Army did not, not yet know what had caused the collision and that there were no radio signals calling for help before it occurred. The helicopters were equipped with flight recorders that officials hoped to be able to shed light into what happened, he said. All the soldiers are on two helicopters, four on one and five on the other were killed. Dinner Luba said he declined to provide details about any of the soldiers until the families had been notified. This is truly a tragic loss for our families, our division, and Fort Campbell. Governor Andy Beshear of Kentucky said during the news conference that was a tragic day for Kentucky and for Fort Campbell. We must remember that the freedom relies on those who are willing to serve, so much pay the ultimate price. Defense Secretary. Lloyd Austin III said he would work with Army leaders to make sure our troops and our families receive the care they need in the wake of this accident. My heart goes out to the families of these service members and the members of 101st Airborne who bravely and proudly serve our country each and every day, Mr. Austin said in a statement. A Black Hawk hel- helicopter can transport an 11 person infantry squad, an HH 60 model can be used for air assaults, medical evacuations, and other purposes, according to the Army. Current and former senior army commanders said investigators would examine the range of questions, including whether there were any, any indications of any equipment problems in previous flights and how and high helicopters are flying. The weather in Fort Campbell area at the time of collision was fair, calm winds, visibility of ten miles, and a temperature of 39 degrees. Fort Campbell sits 105 acres that include parts of. Brig and Christian Counties in Kentucky and Montgomery and Stewart Counties in Tennessee. Um, training exercise in helicopters and at night we can add two and two together. They were using night vision goggles and night vision goggles only give you two dimensions. So you don't see a third dimension when you're flying at night with night vision goggles. So. In the old days, they used to fly directly into power lines. That was when you couldn't see power lines, and they'd fly Mm -hmm. into them. So I assume the helicopters are very famous for training accidents, and they were flying at night. (laughs) That night vision goggles and limited visibility, even though the weather was clear, you still got limited visibility. We're only seeing infrared. All right, you're only seeing infrared in night vision. Guys. We're yeah. not seeing anything else. So, yeah. There we are. Your story.
0: All right. In more uh, military news, The Guardian is reporting on the Vulcan. Uh, the Vulcan company in the Russia who is known for being the huge, you know, investigating the long Russian military intelligence agency and their software capabilities. The secret secret documents, called the Vulcan Files, thousands of pages in total, were leaked by an unknown whistleblower who has become a ghost, leaving behind their previous life entirely. These secret programs aim to spread disformation, curtail dissent, control sections of the internet, and support hacking operations and attacks on infrastructure. While the documents do not show the tools being used, they do show intent. At first glance, NTC Vulcan looks like a normal company, a sleek cybersecurity outfit based in Moscow's suburbs. It comes more across more Silicon Valley, Luke says, the spy Cobra operation with staff football team, motivational emails, and glossy promo videos. But that's just the shop front. Behind the scenes is a Mercury operation that places the company in the web of Russia's military industrial complex. Hovering... Hoovering... Hovering? Hoovering up the brightest minds in the country for prestigious technical universities. Engineers are brought in to work with Russian military intelligence to build aggressive cyber tools. Hoovering. Yeah. Hoovering. They
1: named it after the brand name of a vacuum cleaner. That's interesting. Go ahead.
0: The world has known (laughs) for a number of years that Russian hackers have been responsible for a number of acts. They have targeted British press and telecoms and energy companies. Distributed stolen emails in 2016 from Hillary Clinton's Democrats and hacked Ukraine's power grid But we did not know how the shadowy world of Russian spies as Luke calls it actually functions Using both career spies and private sector in as es- it's in its espionage And this is what the new leak shows us It reveals that these young software developers who like look like they're just regular geeks are actually doing a tremendous amount of stuff They're designing offensive hacking programs and setting up interesting tools for use by Russian military for disinformation campaigns and propaganda, all at a time when Russia is invading Ukraine. To even have this story is remarkable. A leak of this kind from Russia is incredibly rare, because the penalty for treason is so high, a minimum of 20-year prison sentence, at worst, death. Treason aside, dissidents and opposition figures often end up dead, so the stakes for this anonymous whistler could be quite high. The whistleblowers cited their anger about the invasion of Ukraine and the ongoing conflict as their primary reason for the decision to leak these files. What this tells me is that, for all of its pomp and hyperaggression, the regime of Vladimir Putin is more brittle than it seems. And within doc- Russia, the documents show Putin's growing ambition to control absolutely everything. There is this massive web crawler and th- th- that ingests everyone's social media posts and looks for signs of dissent. Every critical post can be detected. So it looks as though Russia is going down the China's route when it comes to the internet. The expectations that anything that happens online is private feels increasingly unrealistic. <laughs> as somebody who lives on the internet, I uh, can confirm to you anything you do on the internet is not private, okay? <laughs>
1: yeah. People Don't, carry around smartphones. Even every without day Russia
0: privacy. or America or China or anybody scrubbing the internet for anything you post, even without that, it is not private, okay?
1: <laughs> I find it comforting to know that Google knows my every move. Exactly. But, yes. I don't care, I don't care. <laughs> find me, Google. When I die, they will find me. They'll know exactly where I am. That is comforting, to know. <laughs> All right, go ahead.
0: The expectation that anything happens on our way, especially if you live in an authoritarian country that might be developing, or has already developed, mechanisms to ensure that online communication is subject to the state. The files have also shown that Russian military brought in a private contractor to build an automated domestic propaganda tool via accounts that resemble real people with realistic, realistic digital footprints. It confirms what we have known as about social media. It's a lot of non-organics. So we should always have a voice in our head to ask, is Emma really Emma or is Emma Sergei? Who yeah. knows? Some ex-Vulcan employees are now living in Western countries, some of whom are at global tech companies. Even if the engineers have brought their families with them, there is a chance that other people they care about will remain in the country, meaning that they could be vulnerable to coercion. But forcing these professionals to return to Russia, knowing that they could put them in harm's way, also sounds unethical. The Vulcan files are part of a troubling puzzle that reveals Russia's increasing authoritarianism. But the leak itself also shows that people on the inside are not going to accept it. Even though the state looks like, looks at this enormous, powerful, titanic thing behind the scenes, there's a lot of discontent and people are unhappy. That doesn't mean it's going to fall over, but you can see the cracks appearing. All right. On to you. Uh,
1: Russia's authoritarianism. How, how rare? <laughs> <laughs> Evacuation and more train wreck news in, in our continuing quest and... Um, to Obsession. cover every 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 train wreck because people think they're rare and they're not. They happen nearly, every, they do happen every day just in Evacuation order lifted after freight train derails catches fire in Minnesota. Evacuation order lifted and residents can return home after a freight train derailed in a fiery crash near a small town in Minnesota early Thursday. The Kanduyuhi County Sheriff's announced, that's the name of a county in Minnesota, Kanduyuhi. Residents, I'm sure I said that wrong. Residents were forced to evacuate as a precaution. The Incidents reported on 1 a.m. Central Time. Multiple tankers in the train operated by Burlington Northern Santa Fe, BNSF, Railway, derailed and caught fire on the western edge of Raymond, a town in Minnesota's southwestern Kandiohe County. That has a population of less than 800. The tankers were carrying a form of ethanol and corn syrup liquid. According to the press release from Canada Connery's service. So we're going to make some pancakes, huh? Uh, BNSF spokesman Lena Kent confirmed to ABC News that approximately 22 cars of a train-carrying mixed freight, including ethanol and corn syrup, derailed near Raymond at 1.02 AM. The company, one of the largest freight railroad networks in North America, is investigating the cause of the incident, and so far, there were no reported casualties, according to Kent. ENSF field personnel are responding to to assets assess the derailment site and will be working closely with first responders, Kent told ABC News. The main track is blocked and an estimated time for reopening the line is not available. There's some nice fiery pictures of it. Approximately 13 rail cars were carrying ethanol. Four train cars are on... Are on fire contained or train cars that are on fire contained ethanol, FEMA officials said Thursday, which means they burned pretty quickly. I suppose. Half a mile of evacuation radius was initially established around the derailment site. Residents within a designated area were instructed, to, were instructed to leave their homes at the time while those with nowhere to go were sent to school in nearby Prinsburg, according to Kenda Yohai, Sheriff's Office. Sheriff's Office said there will be road detours around the crash site, but there was no impact to go to the groundwater. Local spro- responders and BNSF personnel continue to work to mitigate the incident. Homeland Security emergency. U.S. Uh, U- Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg confirmed in a Twitter post that the Federal Railroad Administration is on the ground after a BNSF train. carrying ethanol derailed earlier this morning, leading to evacuation in the area of Raymond, Minnesota. At present, no injuries or fatalities are reported. Buttigieg added, we are tracking closely as more details emerge and will be involved in the investigation. Homeland Security Emergency Management is actively monitoring the situation, and that is about it. Train derailment news. Okay, I guess we got your entertainment news, or?
0: Yep, in culture today. We're going to talk about sad clips from films, TV shows, and TikTok are being spliced together over melancholy music, and they're raising a smile among hopeless young people. Jimin Yogan, an 18-year-old student, saw his first core core-core video on TikTok in January. Can't remember, which one, can't remember which one it is. There are so many of them now. But he says it's a typical of the new trend of video. Other TikTok videos and celebrity or podcast interviews, TV show, or film clips spliced together of some sad or ambient music they're depressing, full of existential dread, and usually on the themes of disconnection and alienation. Newgin initially thought, like other users, that these videos were a joke. They're crudely edited, and the name in itself is a sarcastic reference to the profileration of microtrends emerging from TikTok since 2020. But he was soon staying up late at night in his bedroom, making core core of his own. As I was making my first video, I started to really see myself expressing how I was feeling, and it felt relieving because I didn't have anyone to talk to. And explaining my emotions is hard, he tells me. But the video felt like an exit or a gateway to those feelings. In it, clips of Lee Jung-jae, the lead in Squid Game, smiling broadly and falsely at the camera. Someone recounting how in school, kids would ask which superpower you'd want out of invisibility and flying. But he says, I'm already invisible. And Jake Gyllenhaal and Stronger, 2017 screaming, why do you even want me? I'm such a fuck up, runs into each other over a morose arcade fire track. Now, Nugin makes these videos an attempt to help people, he says, let them know that they're not alone. The date, the core, core hashtag and TikTok has 2.1 billion views. Some young people consider the genre to be merely content or worse still, content about content. But many feel it speaks to them and their experiences on a deep emotional level. They're my favorite type of TikTok video because they feel raw and real, says 20 year old Annabelle from London. The combination of clips that just somewhat, somehow summarizes everything that's bad about life, but I couldn't quite tell you why. Or, as one commentator put it on a core core video about struggling to date and the toxicity of modern relationships perpetuated by all genders, why am I crying over this? The form of video started with niche talk where you would see really random clips spliced together like footballers scoring goals peep show clips and performances from oasis and blur it was masculine and all boys were making it says eden Yun, manager of editor of polyester design and podcast co-host people wanted something a bit deeper and carved craves something more meaningful from this trend which led to core core it's fairly obvious why Gen Z would enjoy Kor You can be moved by these videos without knowing the sources of the clips, but it, if you understand the pop culture and internet culture references, you'll feel special. Like most internet humor, if you get it, you get it. Everything feels very hopeless and Kor Kor speaks to these frustrations and anxieties. It's a way to laugh at how hopeless everything is, or at least get some meaning from it. You have a light bulb moment that says, oh yeah, the world is bullshit. <sighs> to me, it's like, like the others of its kind, it is a simple and accessible version of Adam an Adam Curtis film, Adopting His Humor and Slant. The seemingly unrelated clips with his voiceover. Young notes that the writer Mark Fisher ideas signed through in this genre. Fisher was an anti-capitalism, spoke a lot about isolation, and wondered about how we can process the hopelessness in the modern world. When I watch Korcor or some some as someone who only sporadically uses TikTok, it mimics the way Using the app is overstimulated act of binge watching a stream or short video and voices. This trend is smart and sad. Comment on the is a smart and sad comment on the profil- proliferation of content oh, in culture. Self-focused, often narcissistic, commentary, opinions, life hacks, and problem sharing. It's everywhere. The videos make me feel despondent and sorry for a generation who grew up during the pandemic and have never in their lives logged off. Whether we enjoyed them or not, they probably have the avant-garde documentaries you deserve, and certainly the ones that make the most sense. Mm. So I can I can relate to that as somebody who graduated in the in the pandemic. I literally life has never been the same since. And I'm tired of people trying to act like it is the same <laughs> as it was before, because well, it is not. It,
1: it, it's tempered your expectations, anyway. Yeah. You these lofty, oh, wow, life's pie in the sky. Okay. Well, on more philosophical news, I think, therefore I am. Who said that?
0: Uh, Aristotle.
1: No, Rene Descartes, French oh. modern philosopher. Huh?
0: <laughs> I said those.
1: It's his birthday born in 1596. Picard. all right and composer joseph hayden what one of the most uh, was born in 1732. u.s commodore matthew perry signaled the treaty of kanagua in japan and the ending, ending ending the country's period of seclusion in 1854 japan became kind of an open society compared to what it was before
0: no they were pretty open internally Pe-
1: no not to the outside world thomas peterson monday <laughs> perth, perth and boy new york new jersey became the first African American to vote under the 15th Amendment of the Constitution in 1870. Thomas Peterson Monday of Perth Amboy, New Jersey. The first freed slave, well, African American to vote, I guess. 1870. Clocks in the United States were set one hour ahead as daylight savings time went in the operation for the first time in 1918. This was when it started. 105 years ago, we've been doing this stuff. Canadian-born ice hockey player Gordie Howe was born, 1928. 1948, Vice President Al Gore was born on this day, so happy birthday Al Gore. Damn,
0: I didn't know, is that old.
1: Yep, and US President Lyndon B. Johnson televised speech that he would not seek re-election on this day in 1980. In 19, uh, 1968, sorry, 1980, he he'd already been dead for like seven years. He definitely wasn't going to see a great election then. American in 1980, Jesse Owens, a uh, four-time Olympic gold medalist in the 1936 Olympics, died at the age of 66. And I have, if we have any extra time.
0: We, we can keep going, what do you have?
1: this year in 19 and 1889 the Eiffel Tower was inaugurated so happy birthday to the Eiffel Tower <laughs> and I was happy watching birthday. I was I was watching do you like uh, you like drummers who sing like you you like rock bands yeah but how many real good singers are drummers actually like they play the drums and they sing at the same time or they sing in a band but they used to be a drummer so far yeah. how many are actual drummers there ain't that many right so i made a list how many can you name how many can you name just any
0: drummers that are also singers right dave grohl
1: there you uh, go on my the, list. Sing- There's the, one. the singer
0: for uh atreyu I don't, you not know, i don't even know if you know the band atreyu but they well, have a go. drummer can...
1: okay he so we, we, we can list them in the next one but my list <laughs> number 10 Number 10, Mickey Dolan's of the Monkees. Okay. Well, this is my list. If you got a list, make a list. <laughs> I encourage list making in all forms. <laughs> number 10 is Mickey Dolan's of the Monkees. Now, this is these are kind of listed in order of drumming and singing combined, right? Like, number 10 is not going to be the greatest drummer, probably not the greatest singer. Number one is going to be the really good drummer, really good singer, okay? okay. Number nine, Marvin Gaye, great singer. Not known as a drummer, but he did play drums. I had to look it up. He played drums on several hits from Motown, including Dancing in the Streets and Please, Mr. Postman. Marvin Gaye was the drummer, not the singer. For tomorrow. (laughs) Sheila E. uh, Famously, Prince put her out there as a drummer. Sheila E., famous singer and drummer. Number seven, Ringo Starr. Everybody knows who he is? Yep. Not the greatest singer, not the greatest drummer, but you know what Ringo is, and he's a rock star. Number six, Roger Taylor of Queen. Doesn't sing a lot of songs, but he has that high-pitched voice that you hear in all of the choruses, that Roger Taylor voice. He sings, I'm in love with my car, so. Yep. Number five, Don Henley, who sang about 80% of the Eagles hits and played drums at the same time. Like I said, not the greatest drummer, but a real good singer but not a bad drummer and yeah. uh, number four previously mentioned Dave Grohl who is went from being a drummer to being a lead guitarist or for Foo Fighters and hiring his old drummer but he does play drums on a lot of his tracks so you could also you could slide in Taylor Hawkins who was not really a great was not really a great singer but uh, a great drummer number three Levon Helm of the band there is a great singer, and again, not the not the technically guy you like, oh, Leave on Helm, we gotta get him on drums. But yeah, Lee Von Helm had that voice that sounded like America. And number two, Phil Collins. Everybody knows Phil Collins, Genesis, great singer, great drummer. Number one, guess who's number one?
0: Uh, Erin? I don't know. <laughs>
1: Aaron Carpenter, Aaron Carpenter of the Carpenters, great singer, great drummer.
0: Okay. Well, there you go.
1: End we've of got, story. Right. We've got
0: Roger's definitive uh,
1: definitive list dr- of drummers who could sing. <laughs> Honorable mention: Peter Gabriel started as a drummer.
0: Yes, technically it, yes.
1: <laughs> they had Phil Collins. Well they had somebody else first and then they hired Phil? Yeah, go ahead.
0: All right. Next well, that been... <laughs> What? <laughs> We're going to go do ahead. something
1: special on Friday, right? Yeah. You can't just have a Friday and just go, two days without this glorious news. You know?
0: <laughs> and that yeah. has been Allison here from the Netherlands talking about secret Russian hackers and bots, which we kind of already knew about because everyone has been saying it for the last five years that, hey, you're just a Russian bot. Stop talking to me. <laughs> and... Um, And, you know, how TikTok is uh, a new expression of our existential fears of the future. I'll see you next week for some news over the weekend. Hopefully, we're going to uh, see who wins the March Madness, and it's the team I picked. (laughs) And?
1: And this is your Russian propaganda bot. (laughs) I'm here until Monday. I'll be back. They will be unplugging me for upgrades. <laughs> Good day, March 31st, 2023. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons. And follow other channels. Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.